Welcome to the Big Puff Podcast, coming to you from the shadow of the bomb, Quebec, Canada. My name is Lex, and my co-host is Beach. What's up, Beach? Hey, man. I am stoked for tonight, man. We got a special guest on, um, and a fellow uh, Quebecer, which is awesome. Um, local talent, man. Yeah, man. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Right on. Can you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, in terms of where I came from, I was born in Quebec, uh, lived uh, all over Canada, eventually moved to the United States. And on my travel, ran a business, uh, picked up a lot of life skills, and um, went, went studied did a lot of studying when it comes to, you know, economics and finance and, and, and really understanding how our, our, our system works. And so when all of this, you know, this narrative came to a head over the last like three years, um, I, I, I saw it right off the bat, like, you know, Jenny's lockdowns or any of the mandates or any of the lunacy really came in. Like I, I knew what was going to happen. Like it was, it was, it was very predictable for me. Um, so then, I, you know, it was started on, on, on Facebook and tried to get my message across and, and, and tried to like, you know, warn people of, of what was happening. And of course I was banned from Facebook. Uh, I went through like three or four Facebook accounts and then they told me not to come back. So then I moved on to Twitter. Same thing. The first couple of accounts that I had with Twitter got shut down. And finally I started this one. Um, the one that I'm using right now, and so far so good. And the tag name that I use on Twitter, if anybody, uh, uh, any one of your listeners really follows or uses Twitter, it's uh, at G O V T underscore C O R R U P T. Nice. And what do you think it is about your latest account that um, hasn't, why hasn't it been shut down when the other ones were, do you think? Well, the first two accounts with Twitter, like, so there was a big differences between coming from Facebook to coming to Twitter. And I didn't really understand Twitter at first. I didn't know how it worked. Um, I didn't understand the algorithms. I didn't really, so I didn't know what I was really doing, right? Because even though you can say all social media programs are the same, they're really not. So the first, the first account that I had, um, I was really understanding how Twitter worked. And I used it the same way that I, I, I did with Facebook. So I'd go into like, you know, the news section, uh, the comment section of, of news articles. And, um, and, and then I found out that that was the place that was really um, taking my accounts out because you have like, you know, vicious, vile trolls that would just report everything or, or try to get you all worked up. And then uh, ultimately you get banned. So um, I learned pretty quick to stay away from those. I learned pretty quick on, you know, what words to use what and, and how to really navigate around the algorithms where you, you don't really um, have that, that, that issue with uh, being suspended. Um, so in the first two accounts I saw, it was just a trial. I mean, my, my first account, I got up to like, you know, 200, 300 followers. And then uh, my second account got to like six or 700 followers. And, and with this account now, it's about, it's a little over a year, a year and a half. And uh, I'm about 35,000 followers. So it seems to be going pretty good. Right on, man. That's uh, gives us a, a lot of hope that that many people uh, are, are following someone like you. Because uh, I saw that... Uh, you started your Twitter account in January 2022, and 
couldn't help but notice that uh, that that's timed around the uh, the trucker convoy, and um, I mean for us that made a that made a big difference in our lives. The whole COVID scam really changed our lives. That's the genesis of uh, our podcast. Really, that was a ter- big turning point. Um, did you did you have a turning point in mm-hmm. terms of uh, why you started an account and how you spoke up uh, against this? Well, I, I've always been critical against the government, right? So like being as a, you know, a business owner and uh, being an employer and just seeing how uh, intrusive government is into your daily life and how they try to, you know, control your business uh, through regulations and through taxation. And, and at the end of the day, like, you just start to question, like, what's their real purpose? So like, and, and then when you take a look at the media and, and you understand that everything they say is a lie. I, I, I mean, my turning point, I guess it would be in 2005, 2006, somewhere in around there, I don't know the exact time, but uh, a buddy of mine shared a video with me um, on Yuri Bezmenov. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with them or at least his work where he it was in the 80s, 83, 84, the KGB defector uh, that came to Canada and, and then really broke down how to ideologically subvert a society, you know, take over the education system and then you uh, and, and, and then you infiltrate and you change the perception of reality of, you know, one, two, three generations of school children to a point where no one is really able to come to, you know, logical conclusions in, in defending themselves. So like that I started work, listening to in, in like 2006. I didn't really understand it, right? Like it was just like, oh, this is a pretty cool video. But I started watching it every single month. Um <laughs> for at least 15 years was to a point where I could memorize, like I memorized it and I can and say it off by heart. And, and then when you started to see all this COVID thing and the first thing they were like, Oh, you know, we got to get back to normal and, 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 you know, normalcy. And, and then one of the stages in ideological subversion, your Bezmanov says is normalization where, you know, after a crisis, you have a period of normalcy with a, 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 a drastic change in geopolitical structure that can last indefinitely. So that's how I, that's how I knew that it, it was all a scam from the get-go. Are, are you used to the new normal? No, man, it's horrible. <laughs> it's absolutely horrible. And the, and the thing is, it's not even going to get better, right? It's going to get worse. Like the way I try to explain it to people is like, you know, the um, I think the Coyote Roadrunner uh, Looney Tunes, you know that point where the, the, the coyote runs off the cliff and then he's staring back, but he hasn't really looked down yet and figured out that <laughs> there's no ground underneath him for that like two or three seconds. Like that's that's where I see us at now. So we've already ran off the cliff and we're just suspended in midair. We just haven't looked down. That is a great analogy, Kevin. I love it. Um, and you know what I'm thinking now is even though people are, have kind of like been lulled back to sleep into thinking that, oh, COVID is over and we're just getting back to normal now, I can't help but uh, wonder about the uh, wildfires that are raging in, in northern Quebec right now. And they, they filled the skies down here today. And I'm thinking, how is this connected to the last three years? I don't know if you have any thoughts on those forest fires that are raging in Quebec right now and on the West Coast. Yeah, and it's interesting. I saw a tweet from Justin Trudeau yesterday saying that, oh, we have all these forest fires that are breaking out all across the country in areas that they otherwise would not have started, and it's because of climate change. 
So clearly that's the next narrative that they're going to be pushing, right? So like what happens with the narrative? It can only last for so long uh, before people get tired because, you know, people just uh, um um, attention span isn't, isn't that long. So eventually they get bored. And so you need a new crisis to create fear, right? Uh, or, or something that people really care about. You know, it, it, it gives them some sort of purpose. I don't control other people's lives, I guess, is, is something that, you know, these people seem to long for. Uh, so obviously, like we all know that it, it, like these are not natural, right? Like people are starting fires all, all across the country. Then they can blame, um, you know, this climate change nonsense. And it, like my, even one of my friends, uh, so she has two kids, right? And they go to school in Ontario and they're canceling recess. They're canceling lunches. They're canceling like soccer games because and recommending like Toronto Star, uh, out an article today that you know they recommend people wear masks again oh. to protect themselves from poor air, air air quality and it's like this is china man this is what they do in china like this is absolutely insane did we not learn anything from the last three years like obviously we have mm. because these same people that got sucked into covid that got sucked into ukraine um and they're gonna get sucked into this they get sucked into the trans movement like they're the latest they're the they're the, they're the current bandwagon people right <laughs> they fall for everything they stand for nothing they're just a bunch of suckers and then the problem is that they're the enablers right like so you can have your tyrants that uh, or, or your authoritarians that you know really try to control people's lives i.e the state the government but what gives them the power are the enablers so these people are, are actually enabling this and they're dragging us all down with them. It's like, you know, we pitched our ride to the Titanic. And those same enablers are the same people who are dying to have a new reason to put the mask back on. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like it gives them, it gives them purpose. Like I don't really understand. It's one of the things that I said back in, in 20 or like early 2021 and it's just like you know it's it's the democrat it's the or the leftist version of the mega hat right like it's not really any it doesn't really do anything but identify political ideology that's literally it uh maybe provide us a false sense of security but even that most people know that they don't do anything yeah you're gonna have your like your crazy cultist like you know uh nilly or whatever her name is from ottawa (laughs) that she's just an absolute psycho yeah, we've been blocked. We've <laughs> but got, like, got, do they? On her. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She was bragging about how many people she's blocked, like tens <laughs> of thousands. Man. And like, I I went in and, and like I've never even communicated with her. I didn't even know her name. And then someone, you know, I, I, I like her name was up in the tag. I checked it. I was blocked. So like, she <laughs> blocks people that she doesn't even engage with. It's just to protect her, uh, her, her like her bubble it's it's really it's really strange behavior well there's been a lot of strange behavior over the last few years and to kind of just like springboard off what you were saying just earlier when it comes to the mask wearing here at uh, big puff we think that people wear masks to signal right they wear the mask as like a superhero's cape to signal to everybody that they are heroes that they are doing the right thing that they are saving lives even when they know that the mask doesn't do anything Yeah, because ultimately what it is, is a shallow, meaningless attempt to show people that they care and and that they're doing something. Because in reality, um, it's better than doing nothing. That's what they think. Um, 
because actually fighting for what you believe in means that you have to stand up to a bunch of like real bad people. Right. And, and, and they don't want to do that. You know, that's hard and it takes too much time. So they would wear shallow, insignificant gestures, um, then actually stand up for what they believe in. Cause you know, at the end of the day, all they want is more me time and, and, and not have to worry about all that, all that bad stuff that goes on with standing up for yourself. Right. You know, I've been baffled by people's behavior over the last few years. I've been racking my brain trying to figure out, trying to find some kind of common denominator, right? Between all of the people who, all the enablers, right? All the people who followed all the rules, right? What is it that they have in common? And maybe I, maybe there isn't anything in common, but it's something that has been perplexing me, right? Trying to figure out what is it, what is the difference between the people who just went along and did everything they were told versus the people who pushed back, right? And who straightened their spine, right? And threw their shoulders back and said, no, what is the difference? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Kevin. Uh, I do. So I see them as two groups, people that were uh, legitimately has had skin in the game. So they were profiting off of it, uh, whether it be through political clout or, you know, some side of, some sort of financial um, profiteering. So you had those that were actually generally interested in pushing this narrative because it was benefiting them. And and then you have um, the people. um, I think that it's the education system that is the main thing is why most of these people followed along with it. Like a lot of the people that I talked to um, that didn't, you know, they were in the, in the trades, you know, either like uh, blue collar workers or they, they started their own business like me and, and, and never really had a, a formal post-secondary education because I think it's the education system that was been used to weaponize people uh, and take away their critical thinking abilities. And ultimately their goal is to teach conformity, to, to bow to authority and, 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 to, and to, and basically have people memorize and repeat things. So those are the four main pillars that I saw, like even in high school as, as um, in the education system, I can only imagine it it, it was worse in in university. Um, And it just seems that the the more educated these people got, the dumber they became. That was, that was was the way I saw it. Because people put a lot of, yeah, people put a lot of like, value in education right like education this education that but like there's a clear difference between education and, and intelligence right like i know a lot of really dumb educated people and a lot of really intelligent uneducated people right so like it's it, 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 it's it's a false it's a false sense. Like you can't compare one, one to the other. Like the, the real skills are, okay, can you survive? Can you survive? Can, can you do all the things that you need to do without, you know, needing uh, assistance from the government without needing um, all of these safeguards that, that government seems to provide you. Can you critically think on your own? And a lot of these people, like I honestly think they can't, they cannot critically think on their own. Oh, I agree with you a hundred percent. I noticed that as well, that some of the most educated people were the most compliant. And I think, I think that that one of those catchphrases that they had at the beginning, which was trust the experts. I think that was a bit of like a magic spell, 
that was cast on everybody, all the uh, diplomat people out there fell under the spell of that catchphrase, trust the experts, because they consider themselves to be experts, right? I have a master's or a PhD mm-hmm. in X, Y, or Z. Indoctrination. Therefore, yeah, they've been indoctrinated, right? And they consider themselves experts. So they're like, well, I'm an expert. So I'm going to go along with what they're saying because I don't want people to stop trusting the experts. I don't want people <laughs> to stop trusting what I'm an expert at. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also, uh, it's called the, the appeal to authority fallacy, right? So <laughs> labeling yourself as an expert or following the experts, basically what you can do is you can just don't matter. You're not an expert. You're not worth listening to. I'm the expert. These people are the experts. I'm going to trust and follow them, no matter how wrong um, they are. And, and, and they were wrong. Like one of the things that I said is, we we can't question the science today because we're not experts. Nor can we question the failures of the science tomorrow due to the fa- due to how fast it's changing. So basically, created a reality where they could never be wrong, where they could never be questioned, and even when they were wrong, they were ultimately right because of the, th- the things were changing so fast. So it ultimately comes down to this some sort of self-importance ego trip that they, they, they all seem to be on, which was, to me, it was absolute lunacy. Very well said, right? That's a good summation of not science, but scientism, right? And not experts or academics, but high priests that's how they see themselves yeah it was, it, was a, it was a cult if you can't question something you're in a cult if you go against it and they kick you out that's a cult get jabbed be in the cult <laughs> the jab the mask yeah. i mean oh, yeah. like from from the from the very from the very beginning like i never wore a mask a single day um I, I almost got arrested a few times for it. I never took took the jab. I never even got a test. Um, so I, I said no for for everything right off the bat. So like, I, I and it was interesting. I think it was back in March uh, of 2020 when when the rollout of of all, all all this stuff really came to a head. There's a movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's called The Pianist. Um, uh, with what's his name? Uh, Polanski was uh, Roman Polanski is, is the director, and it was about Holocaust. And I think it's one of the best Holocaust movies that are out there. Um, you know, people talk about Schindler's List, but the pianist basically what it did is it followed this this, this guy um, through you know Nazi occupied uh, Poland through the war. And then you and you can see what they did to him. So they first they banned him from the you know from the parks and you know from and then you needed to have like this identification to go to work and then and then you couldn't work and then ultimately they, it was right there clear for the ICC and I'm like this is the same process that we're following and luckily the lunacy stopped but like if we would have kept on going like. The snowball effect was there, and you know, thank God that you know a bunch of truckers got together and said enough is enough, and it, it, it really put the brakes on that whole narrative, not just in Canada but across the world. I mean, it's far across the world, Australia and in the Netherlands. So it, it was a worldwide movement, and it's funny that something that you know was so powerful across the world that only 
a Canadian can look at it and call that dumb. Like, I don't think there was any other country in the world that would see someone really fight for their freedoms and for their liberties, and not just for themselves, for you know their families and, and, and for, for future generations. That's what they were doing. Everybody was saying, oh, you know, they're standing up for trying to get rid of the mandates and this and that. No, they were standing up to an authoritarian government. They were tired of being pushed around, tired of being treated. And, you know, of, of course, it was affecting them on, on, um, on, a, on a business level, like through, you know, international border crossing. But I think the, that was the initial thing. But the movement, uh, Justin Trudeau's authoritarian regime, and, and what did Justin Trudeau do to respond to that? He declared an emergency and trampled them. So, you know, he accuses everybody uh, of, you know, this authoritarianism and, you know, they have to stand up and use this whole protector of human rights. But, like, he fits, he would fit right in in, uh, in, in Mao's China. I'm pretty sure he his father was taking some notes or his stepfather, whatever you want to call him, and he was passed on to him. And, you know, that's what he studied growing up. There's no question he's a tyrant. There's no question. And to take your uh, your, your theme of, of movies uh, showing us and revealing <clears throat> to us what could possibly be done or done on us presently even, uh, Lex, didn't, didn't we have a conversation before about uh, about Star Wars? Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a young daughter, and so I've been rewatching these Star Wars movies with my daughter, and we're into the the uh, the second set of series where they do the you know the story before the uh, the original movies, right? The uh, Anakin Skywalker growing up and becoming Darth Vader, and in the movies, I mean, there's a lot of things that stood out to me, but one of the things is that when the Emperor takes control, right, um, it's to thunderous applause. Right. And the end of democracy and handing over all authority to one supreme leader, everyone was applauding it. Right. And that's what really stood out to me because that's what I that's what I saw play out through COVID, right? In increments, right? Just like Kevin was saying, it was bit by bit, step by step, just like that movie The Pianist with uh Adrian Brody, I think. Right. And it was step by step and leading up to the to yep. the trucker convoy. That my stress levels were at an all time high. I know beaches uh, were as well, and I'm sure you. I know Kevin's was too, because I remember at that point Dude. in the shadow of the bomb, they had uh, threatened us with attacks, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, on top of everything, right? What were you gonna say, dude? Oh, I was just waiting for someone to come through the through the door and uh, and hold me down to jab me. You know, crossed my mind many times, right? Being hauled away that because they were just hinting at it, right? They were hinting at mandatory vaccination. I don't know if you felt that as well, Kevin. Yep. NDP was openly uh, suggesting it on a provincial level in Alberta with, you know, Rachel, Rachel Notley and on, on the federal level with, with Jagmeet Singh, they were both pushing for mandatory vaccination. So it was there. It was there. Do you guys remember when they had in New Brunswick for a short period of time, the government didn't say, they didn't mandate that you had to be vaccinated to get into a grocery store, but they said that private grocery stores were allowed to implement their own vaccine passport if they wanted. Brutal. And I guess it got shut down. There was enough pushback, but that was, that was crazy. I remember thinking, oh shit, when that story broke. Yeah, yeah, 
I remember like there was absolute lunacy. Like one thing that COVID really opened my eyes to, like I was aware that it was bad, like living in the States and, and, and living in Canada, like there, there was a huge difference in mindset and like call the U S whatever you want. But like, and when I came back to Canada and, and really what it showed me is the, the, the authoritarian nature of, of Canadians. So you have like 30% of the population. It could be more, but I'm going to go with 30%. Um, are, are, have strong authoritarian beliefs. And these would be the same people that would be loading their neighbors or, or their fellow citizen up in, into boxcars in, 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 in the forties in, in Germany. And then you have another like 60%, 50 or 60% that would stand by and do nothing. So like when you walk out, when I walk out and account a, a group of, especially being in Quebec, you know, uh, count a group of 10 people, I just know off the bat and that three of them would would want me imprisoned or or worse dead and then the other six wouldn't even care and they would let that happen so out out of 10 people there's only really one or two people that would stand up to stand up to this nonsense and i was one of them and it sounds like you guys were too um so you know that, that that's great but we need more people because if it wasn't for um these the people that let it happen, then none of this would have been possible. Not enough people stood up. Not enough people sensed it. And the interesting thing you were t- talking about earlier before is uh, what is some of the, the correlations, what are some of the similarities to people that stood up to the people that didn't? And a lot of my life friends, I mentioned that they're, they're like, you know, in, in, in the trades, uh, but an underlying, a huge underlying theme that I've noticed is a lot of these people have escaped fascism. They've, they've escaped authoritarianism, uh, you know, from from Eastern Europe or from from South America, uh, whether it be them or or, or or their parents or grandparents, and they they've been taught the early warning signs of uh, of what an authoritarian regime looks like. Uh, for me, I didn't have any of that. Like my my father worked for the government. My mom my my mom she worked somewhere else. Um, but like I figured this all out for myself. Um, moving forward, but there were many people that, that that got trapped, and people that I thought that were, you know, relatively intelligent and 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 fairly decent in terms of critical thinking, and, and they bought the lie. They got caught up in the nonsense too, which is which is too bad because now they they regret it. But they're they're never going to apologize. So you know, it, it ended a lot of relationships between me and um, you know my my circle of friends have definitely shrunk. So I think that is also a correlation too. I don't know if you've noticed that as well, if you've seen. Um, and, and when they say, you know, trust the experts, I said, yeah, I'm going to trust the people that escaped this kind of nonsense in, in, in the 20s and 30s from, from, from Russia or, or from Poland or from, you know, pick any Eastern European country because they know what it is before. It's, it's, it's still a, a tune that, that sings pretty loud in their minds where it, for, for Canadians, like we've never really had to fight for our freedoms and liberties. Like we never really had to fight against authoritarian regimes other than, you know, you hold wars. But even then, we're not really fighting for our, our own sovereignty. We were fighting against, you know, uh, uh, an enemy. So we haven't really experienced it. We haven't really seen the pain. Which part? Just back up like 10 seconds. You were talking about um, people who have escaped fascism. Yeah, so Canada never really had has has never really experienced that, um, and and it's interesting that 
at the countries that were affected the most in terms of, you know, authoritarian control were the, were the countries that were under uh, uh, the monarch system. You know, your Canada, your Australia, New Zealand, and to an extent, Great Britain, they were the countries that really got hit the hardest. Um, so they're the countries. Countries that, that never really had to fight for their freedoms. Um, in America, you had some pushback, and then some other countries. You know, and then you had countries that in, in the third world, and they're like, "Yo, we're not even going to worry about this because we got far too many things uh, going on. This is just this doesn't even make sense for me to even worry about it." And those countries were like, "We're never affected." So you can tell it had nothing to do with health from the start, and it all had to do about with is with with control. And another thing that came to mind is, you know, when they had this vaccine thing and a lot of people saying, oh, hey, you know, it's, it's a mass depopulation program. They're trying to, to wipe out as many people as possible with the vaccine. And sure, that could, that, that, that very well could be, but what if the, 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 the people that end up dying um, from the side effects from the vaccine, because it is happening and we can't deny it, 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 it was just, you know, collateral damage, but the real goal of these people were to basically classify society into three different groups. You had your compliant people that, you know, they signed up because they wanted, uh, you know, their free bagel or, or free donut from Tim Hortons when they got their vaccine. And then you have the set and, and they got every single shot and they're, they're still up to date on the boosters. And then you had your semi compliant where, you know, you got your one because you wanted to keep your job and, you got your second one because you wanted to keep your job. And then once the mandate, so they have one or two shots, you have your fully compliant, your semi-compliant, and then you have your non-compliant who didn't, who didn't, you know, play ball from the, from the, the get-go. So one of the things that, com that every communist regime has in common is information gathering. That is their currency. That is what everybody, uh, how compliant they are, how much force is needed to manipulate a, a majority of society into doing what they want. So when they come out with round two and, 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 and this thing really gets serious, they already know who the enemies are and, and, and we're probably on all the lists. Oh, yeah, gotcha. Uh, so they're obviously subverting us. Okay, so we feel it. I mean, you predicted it. We, other people have predicted it. Um, so what, do we uh, become citizens of uh, Ankapistan? What's the deal uh, about, about that in your uh, Twitter uh, profile? What's up, what's up? Sorry, you cut out there. Oh, <laughs> Uh, just mentioning uh, Ankapistan on your uh, Twitter uh, profile. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we just become citizens of Ankapistan? How does that how does that work? Yeah, it's, uh, I started. I started. I moved to Ankapistan when it was, you know, a small village, and now it's turning into a booming metropolis because more people wake up and they, and they actually see that uh, the government is the enemy. But it's not really the government. It's the government. And the systems that that surround the government. So you have, you know, your healthcare system. You have your educational system. Um, you have your uh, your authority. So your police, your your military, and then of course, and then you have your, your business. So you have your pharmaceuticals and and in your in your big corporate um, uh, multi. multi 
multinational corporations, and then on top of that, control, and then you have your UNs and and um, your WHOs, and then on top of that, you have your, your your central banks for you know the Bank of Canada, the Federal Reserve, you know the Bank of England, and then moving on up the chain where you have your your um, your IMF, your International Monetary Fund, and then on top of that, you have your you know Bank of International Settlements. So, and Pakistan is really understanding the system for what it is and, and the tiers of the system. And yeah, there, there, there are many more that I'm not even going to mention, uh, but really understanding that it's, it's more than just the government. It's the entire system that's corrupt. And if you take a look at my profile, that that's what I said, like the system is corrupt, you know, media is the virus, uh, what is it? Compliance is a symptom. Not when I, I forgot, I haven't even looked at it, but like basically non-compliance is the only way out. Like if enough, if enough people see, look what happened in Manitoba when they tried to uh, like institute, is it Manitoba uh, with Premier Mo? Manitoba, right? Yep. Yeah. So when he tried to institute all of this and, uh, it might have been even be Saskatchewan, sorry. And this area is like really, uh, heavily populated in the rural region so and it was the rural areas uh, of the country that had the most pushback and it was the urbanites and the suburbanites that were, were more for it so and then once mo really saw that his constituents were, were kind of rejecting it and it had a, a 180 overnight and then you had uh, him sending a letter, and, and then the next week you had Jason Kenney sending a letter, and then that's when the dominoes really started to fall. So he didn't have that enabling base. They wanted pushback. So if we didn't have so many people that complied, none of this would happen. So it goes back to the point is the enablers are far more dangerous than the tyrants that are trying to control this. So that's what Ancapistan really is. It's understanding how the system works. Uh, it's understanding the multifaceted multi is and, and, and really trying to make a sense that we're not going to vote our way out of it. And um, we need to understand that the, the main problem the biggest problem of all is our monetary system is the, is the culprit to all of this and until we you know eliminate the monetary system in in, in the sense that taking away the power from uh from the bankers and restoring it and giving it back to the people to whom it belongs we will continue to live in the corrupt criminal system wow beautifully said and uh, I agree with all of the above. You made a lot of good points there. Um, I agree with you that there's no voting our way out of out of this, right? There's no political solution to our problems. I also love what you said uh, a few minutes back where um, you were talking about the vaccination program and you were saying that their ultimate goal is the data that they get from it. Yes, maybe there's a depop element to it or uh, you know other things that fold into it. But ultimately what they want to know is who is compliant, who is semi-compliant, and who is, what did you call the third group, the uh, the rebels? Not, not Non-compliant, non-compliant, the dissidents, the dissenters. Right, the non-compliant, the, the dissenters, right? I thought that was a, a great point, and I can see the value behind having that data, right? And I agree and with you. And look what happened, and look what happened. It, Go ahead. Sorry, I, you cut out. Yeah, and just to quickly jump in on 
tonight. Now, that's about look what happened. They identified in these institutions, your healthcare system, your education system, and they identified they're really able to push this narrative through the institutions that they can control with less dissent. And the, the, the police force, same thing. So it was a great tool to rid these institutions of all of these people uh, so there'll be no more pushback moving forward. Mm, I agree 100%. And another good point that you made was the distinction between rural and urban populations and compliance, right? And I definitely saw that. But another thing that's been on my mind these last few years is the compliancy of the Quebec population. Why were things so bad here? I call We call this place the shadow of the bomb for a reason, right? Because during the, during the scandemic, Quebec was one of the worst places to be in Canada, if not the world, right? In terms of the restrictions that were placed on us. And I can't help but think that it feeds into this theory slash joke that we have here, which is that Quebec is like in a in an aquarium or in a dome and they run experiments on us like we're this lab. I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Quebec reaction to the COVID measures. Well, it was really disappointing that you know, back in the 50s you had mass riots because they, you know, they suspended Maurice Richard. And then fast forward, like, you know, 20 years, 70 years later, and it just seems that they've, they've all been neutered. Um, so it was really disappointing. And, you know, I, I never really uh, followed any of the curfews. I never really, I was kicked out of a bunch of stores because it was at a point in time where I, I wasn't able to go to, like, um, to Walmart or, or, or to Costco. I was, I was denied access to, you know, those types of stores. Uh, um and it was just really sad looking around and it's ultimately, I don't, I don't really know a whole, it seems to be very, uh, is very demoralized. And, you know, Ontario was right there behind it. The only real difference between the two is Ontario didn't launch a curfew, but it was, it was interesting. You had your, your, your premier Legault, um, you know, make an announcement. And then the next day you would have Doug Ford making basically the same announcement so they seem to be reading off of the same script and and then what's even worse is even after all of this went through uh and then it came to the past and then it started to ease and then you had elections and these clowns were elected back in so it 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 just really shows that these people learn nothing and um they're clearly gonna have a lot of a lot of pain coming their way um because they've already normalized it. They've already said, okay, we're okay with this. You know, no problem. Super interesting. Yo, 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 that stuff is rigged. Yeah, it, 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 is, it, it is rigged, but... It, 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 you, people should be in, in Alberta. And Daniel Smith won, right? And the people were like, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, Daniel Smith, yeah, like, you know, we kicked out Rachel Notley. And then, like, the next day, she was talking about, you know, carbon neutral or or, or whatever, by 2050, and saying that she's trying to, 
you know, uh, men's relationship with Ottawa and then her tweet of the, you know, the alpha, the alphabet terrorists and, you know, being all inclusive with this new pride month. And so, yeah, I pointed, I pointed these out on, 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 on Twitter. And then all these people that were like, yay, now they're all saying, oh, at least she was better than Notley. And I'm like, that's really pathetic. Right. To a point where we have to we have to accept garbage just because the garbage is slightly better than, than, than the other piece of garbage, right? And here, here Polyev, if, if he manages to to win the election, uh, so all the people that are like, we have to vote for the CTC just to get you know Trudeau out, and then when Pierre comes in and and and, and then he he doesn't follow what he does or he ends his base. Um, some people will leave, sure, but a majority of them will say, well, at least he's better than Trudeau. Because what it comes down to is tribalism, right? People, they want um, their team to win. They want the other team to lose. And regardless of, uh, of what it is, they don't care as long as their team is doing the authoritarian uh, is you know your Leafs versus your Canadians? They can both be terrible and they can both suck, but you still have that dynamic, and that's the kind of dynamic where I see with you know the liberals and the conservatives, and you know you can mix a bunch of parties into there, but they're the main ones. Um, it's just like oh, you know what? Even though we didn't make the playoffs, uh, 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 at least we finished better than the other team, and like that's where we evolved down to. It's just like our our standards for holding these people accountable. There, there are there are no standards. All we have to do is be better than the other team, and and, that, and that's really really pathetic in my point of view. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent And there's even um, there's a bit of a cultural like meme in Quebec where after an election, people will ask themselves, will ask each other in small talk, they'll ask themselves in French, "As-tu gagné tes élections? Did you win your election? Right? It's just a game. It's just did your team win? Right? It has nothing to do with the issues. That's what politics is about. It's about winning and losing. It has nothing to do with the issues nope. themselves. Yeah, and the way I see it, there's only one winner in every election, and that's government, right? So government wins every election. And if they're the winner, then ultimately the loser is the people. So we lose, they win every single time. Like, um, Government is what forty four and zero in terms of winning federal elections in, in Canada. Right. Uh, so when you take a, take a look at, at that point of view, you, you're going to see it's not left versus right; it's the state versus the people. Right. So what an election is, it's just an early auction on uh, the future sale of stolen goods, right? Because you know the government doesn't have any money, uh, and they make all these promises. So the only way to they can fulfill on at least some of them, although like 80% of them don't get fulfilled, on at least some of them, they have to steal money from the future. Uh, and, and and then you stick the, stick the people with the bill. So people are actually being bribed with their own stolen money um, to maintain a system where there are always losers and, and, and the state is always the winner. So it's like, wow, this, this system is absolutely corrupt to the core. And, and uh, the, the ballot box or the, you know, the, 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 the voting booth 
it's merely a tool that amongst itself, well, you know, the owners of the paradigm, the owners of the system, everybody blind, A, rob their wealth through, you know, inflation and through the banking system, and then B, rob them of their rights, uh, really how it works. And I think to tie into COVID, what the ultimate goal was, was uh, other than, you know, your information gathering was to eliminate the middle class, to make people more dependent on the state, you can grow the welfare state, and then with that, you can grow your surveillance state, and, you know, you shut down all your medium, small medium-sized businesses and you, you, your your multinational corporate was was answering to it wasn't the people it wasn't their constituents it, it was their, their corporate masters uh, and that's what you know and giovanni dantili ultimately said the definition of fascism right was it's the merger of state and corporate powers you really saw that uh come together and, and then even the modern version you you, you have a, a tyrannical dictator and so you had the government teaming up with you know pharmaceutical corporations to to push a pot to, to manipulate people into taking a, a product through restrictions and, and, and through mandates like you, that's textbook fascism in my eyes and that's why it's always crazy when these people they put they call you know fascism far right because I, I guess everything is far right when you're far left and these people, they only know two two points of view on the political spectrum. You have your communists and you have fascists, both left group of lefties, far right. It just boggles the mind. It just shows how ignorant these people are uh, on purpose because this is what they've been taught to. You know, this is what they spent tens of thousands of dollars on education uh, to be taught uh, how, the, how this works. And, and, it's, and it's so far reality is it's just it, it just boggles the mind beautifully said man i love it and it's true people don't understand that communism and fascism both come from the left but uh, i've got a curveball for you kevin right seeing as elections are rigged, yeah go for it right and uh politics is basically theater to me politicians are actors mm-hmm. to me what do you think mm-hmm. about Maxime mm-hmm. Bernier? Because I like everything he says, right? But I think he's controlled opposition. I think he's a release valve for certain for the non-compliers. Mm-hmm. So, like the way the way I see it, like I like the guy. I follow the guy. I've been following him since he was a a, a, a cabinet minister in Harper's government. Um, well, uh, I, I've, I've asked him a few questions on an interview before. Um, he had, but if you look at the voting record, uh, he was capped at 5%, right? He'll never be allowed to get more than 5% of the vote. And, and, and that's just a sad reality. Um, he has, he makes a lot of points to me. He doesn't really go far enough. He's like, he's, I see him as more of a centrist party, um, but they're not really going to gain any pow- any power and any meaningful power. And even if they do, uh, they're not really going to change anything. Uh, the only thing that they might be successful at is moving uh, the windows slightly back to the right and keeping the CPC uh, a little bit more accountable. But at that point, you're, so you're looking at 2025. You know, let's just say they they get one or two seats, maybe three or four seats if they're lucky. 
what are they going to accomplish between 2025 and 2029, 2030 when Agenda 2030 hits? You know, by then it's already too late. So um, I think it's a, it's it's a false hope. People are going to put his their 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 trust in him, hoping that he can fix the system. But it's uh, well, the system isn't broken. First of all, it's designed for failure, right? Failure isn't a, a flaw in the system; it's a feature. So it's working perfectly. So there's nothing to fix. And even if it was broken and there was something to fix. There's just not enough time. Like you're talking five, six, seven years down the road, you're not going to fix. You're not going to fix the political uh, problems in, in in that short of time because you know government probably still uses fax machines, so they don't really go very quickly on anything that they do, and they're always years behind. So trying to fix such a dinosaur in in seven years is like a blink of an eye, right? It's, it's not going to happen. So that's why I think that we have to focus more away from the political spectrum. And, political theater and you mentioned that they're just actors right like i think that they're just you know bad actors that are too ugly for hollywood so they moved into the political arena they became your politicians and you know these are the same um i'm gonna i'm gonna i don't really swear but these are the same assholes that try to control your life in high school through you know your 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 debate teams and you know your class presidents and then you had your your they're the same types of people they they so they gravitate towards, you know, the wantingness to control others. And, you know, then you have, you're like, Max is a libertarian at heart. He's kind of gone more towards like a populist, but like, gosh, it, it's just absolutely horrible. And it, it, it's funny how you see all of these cliques move uh, from, from, you know, high school up until now, and now we're dealing with it, the journalists on, on TV. So it, it, it's just crazy. And no, I don't think Max is, is, is going to really solve the problem. Um, I think that what we really have to focus on is, so they've been doing this to us. They've been subverting us um, for well over, I'm going to say four generations now through the education system. Um, and one thing I, I'm sure you're familiar with Yuri Bezmanov, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Big fans. Yeah. So, like, he even, it'll take 25, 30 years to change the tide back because these people have been programmed or manipulated to a, to a, to a point where they've been demoralized. You can no longer change their basic perception of reality. It, it, it's done. In order, in order to bring society back to more of an individualist uh, a mindset, that you have to rid these people you have to educate a new generation of people who then pass on what they've learned uh, because once you learn something it becomes uh, like part of your culture right and then once you pass that culture on to the next generation that's when it becomes a tradition so really you need to create the environment where the tradition of freedom and, and and liberty is being passed on to you know the, the future generations, and that's not just happening right now. You know, the state has done an excellent job that controlling the education, and so we're the, the tradition that's being passed on to um, to the next generation is, is basically a Marxist ideology. Um, and, and so, if we really want to take it back, we're not going to. I don't think that the government should be involved in education. I think that it's amazing 
Jamoral Hazard, clearly from the results that we've seen to them, it's absolutely fantastic. But to you know anybody paying attention is absolutely horrible. So I think that people need to take their kids out of, uh, of public education. I know it's easier said than done. You can't just like you know take it out because the state has made it so expensive uh, for you to do this sort of thing yourself uh, purposely because they want control of your child. Uh, but this is the only chance that we're going to have is starting with education and, and, and teaching your your children, uh, you know, real principles uh, of freedom and liberty and, and what, it, what, what it means. Because if you don't have that for the next generation, then, then there's no chance in changing society. And we're ultimately going to, you know, descend into a two-tier feudal system uh, of complete authoritarian control where you have, you know, the 1% or like the 2 or 3% of the population that controls 97%. And that's what I don't want to see. And that's one thing, not because me, I don't have any kids myself, but it's not really about me. It's about the next generation. I wanted to make sure that, you know, the torch that I pass on to the next generation, they're going to have at least a fighting chance. And I just wish more people had that mindset. And that's what would really hurt me is that, you know, they were labeling me selfish and, and saying that, you know, I'm a, I'm a threat and I'm not doing that because, because I don't care about anything, anybody but myself. But that's absolutely the, this world looks like for the next generation. And I don't think that these people really care about, you know, anything that they can't see beyond their nose. They can't see the forest through the trees. Great point, man. I love it. Um, yeah, we definitely face that type of judgment as well from others, from colleagues, friends, family members. It was a rough time. But I like... The, uh, the solutions that you're pointing to as well, right? If there aren't political solutions, then we have to think more practically, right? And simply resisting and saying, no, those are good guidelines to me. Say no to jabs. <laughs> Say no to government measures. Yeah. Yeah, so like it, it comes down because we still think on a federal level or on a provincial level, uh, but we have to think smaller. If, go, if globalism is the problem, then, you know, uh, a community-based society, a, a volunteer society is going to be the solution. Or we can break these huge states up into, like, you know, uh, a smaller region. Um, and, and really have the community come together and, you know, start a local garden and, uh, you know, and, and another thing that like the one voting that really does change is what you choose to do with your money, right? Like the vote with the wallet is the way how I see it. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was amazing, man. You really let loose. Yeah, like everything that like it's like I'm totally unscripted. I had no idea where this conversation was was going, and I was just talking off, talking off the top of my head. Like this is this is how I feel. So I don't have um, you know an angle or, or 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 a motivation other than you know what I want is individual freedom, and I think that the more people embrace individual freedom, so like we we take a look at the collective, right? Like entire society. The only way for the collective to survive if we have a group of individuals within that collective that are doing the best for him or herself. Until we achieve that, then we're just going to have this whole beehive mentality, this collectivist mindset that's, that's, that's ultimately going to lead to disaster because it always leads to disaster. So we, we have to start thinking at an individual level and, start, and stop thinking at this collectivist level. 
Right on, man. I hear you, man. Very well said. And you fucking killed it tonight, man. We're super stoked to have you on. Thank you very much for coming on, Kevin. No, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad I was, I had a great time too, and I really enjoyed myself. And then, like, thank you for giving me the opportunity for, for saying the things that, that, that I have, that I have to say, because I, I really think that this sort of stuff is important. And if there are, there are more like-minded people that think like you and I, uh, then, then, then we can really truly affect change. Because if you take a look at it, every, um, every arbitrary separatist identification is designed to create a controlled population that's utterly malleable in the hands of the few. If, if the people really understood their power to affect change, then the entire manufactured zeitgeist that's preyed upon would collapse. Beautifully said, man. Let's end on that.